What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100-GAMBLER. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Ringer Gambling Show. I'm Warren Sharp for SharpFootballAnalysis.com, and we are joined today by Ben Solak. As always, big show, big show for the Ringer Gambling Show. Every Wednesday, I love this show more than any other, and that's not a slight against the other co-hosts, but this one, I think, is bringing in the listeners, Ben, and skyrocketing us up the charts. We're going to be going through the film, the data, the analytics, and blending it into sports betting and gambling, I think is going to be a ton of fun. And there's no bigger game this weekend than the game the NFL prepared for us, laid it out on a spread before the season started. They knew Tom Brady would be able to set the all-time passing record for yardage in this Sunday night football game in his return to Foxborough, Ben how jacked up are you to watch this chess match unfold Sunday night? Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I think it, if you've got like red blood in your veins, you're excited about Tom Brady playing Bill Belichick and Foxborough with the passing record on the line, right? I mean, that's just, like you said, they laid it out on a platter and they laid it out nicely, putting it there in week four. Uh, it's especially kind of fun to think about because Patriots came out and, and, and they looked, you know, decent against the Dolphins. They're able to beat the Jets. But I think that you're starting to see some of the cracks in, in the team as it's currently constructed. I think that their, their arrow's pointing down a little bit. And and Tom's coming off a loss. Uh, so to me, this could be... like I think this is will be a good game. I think we'll see cool stuff. But also, there's a chance we see just an absolute bloodbath on the side of the, uh, on the, side of the Bucks because... Brady feels like the sort of guy who's going to be, you know, pushing the ball downfield up 20 late in the fourth quarter in this context. So I, I think it's going to be a fun watch. 
I definitely think that there's no taking the foot off the accelerator for Tom Brady in this game for certain. And the good part is like he hasn't really come out and indicated there's a lot of bad blood. He hasn't really said much about the Patriots, but you know it's there. And you know that he feels like he was being held back in a variety of other things that were going on with that team. Mm. But I do agree. Let's start. You know, I want to know a little bit about Mac Jones from your film study. And we approached last week's game with the understanding that the Patriots were a run first team and they're going up against the Saints who are really good stopping the run. So I was very curious as to what this offense would look like against a good run defense. And I also knew that they're going to be going up against the Bucs the very next week, who also have a good run defense. So this is kind of a great test to see how will the Patriots handle Mac Jones? Will they give him the white glove treatment? Will they take the gloves off and all of a sudden for the first time this season, let him pass the ball a lot? And they did exactly what they typically did with Tom Brady when they go up against a good run defense. They passed the ball on early downs at a 70% rate the first three quarters, which was the second highest pass rate in the NFL. And it was completely necessary, Ben, because early down runs average just 1.7 yards per carry and a 20% success rate. So you're not going to run your head into a brick wall. You got to start passing the football against a good run defense, which they did. The problem, however, was that those early down passes averaged just 5.3 yards per attempt with 22% success. And Mac Jones was pressured on a lot of these plays. The O-line wasn't giving him as good a protection as I was hoping for. On the day, however, the interesting note that I was uncovering is that Mac Jones completed just four of 21 passes that he threw beyond 10 yards downfield. Average only 3.8 yards per attempt, minus 0.73 EPA, one touchdown, two interceptions, and pressured on almost 60% of those 21 attempts. It was the worst performance for any quarterback, throwing deep at a pretty high clip as he did 21 times. Um, And the other thing that was kind of odd to me, you know, just from the data side of things, looking back at it, was that Mac Jones had just three play action pass attempts where he threw the ball deeper than seven yards. And they threw 46 pass attempts without using play action whatsoever. Um, And so that is a concern to me because you're now going up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a great front that can get after the quarterback a little bit, Mm -hmm. that can stop the run. So I ask you this, before we even talk about the Bucs side of this matchup, what did your film study show you about Mac Jones, the way that Bill Belichick is utilizing him, where he's struggling, and you know, can they get back on track a little bit just with him and this offense, or do they need to change something structurally here? Yeah, so when you look at what, uh, this was one of my favorite offseason narratives that just made like no sense. The Patriots draft Mac Jones. It's like, all right, they just drafted the next Tom Brady. They're going to go put him in a Tom Brady offense. He's game manager. He's precise. He's accurate. It's going to be pre-snapped. It's going to be great. It's no, no, it's not what he ran at Alabama at all, right? That's very much the prototype. It's very much what it's typically looked like, but it's not what he did in Alabama in the slightest. And Alabama, they were a heavy personnel team. They were a play pass team. And when we say, uh, you'll hear coaches say play pass when they're talking about play action. Brandon Staley did it uh, when he gave his quote last week, right? When they're talking about play pass, they're specifically talking about hard sell play action. So under center, turn your back to the defense. We're going to pull a guard. They're talking about the full sell play action, not like an RPO fake at a shotgun. Play passes is hard play action. So that's what they were. And then they would get uh, Jalen Waddle downfield. They would get Devontae Smith down the field, John Mechie down the field, and they would hit 
deep crossers, deep overs, deep posts. It was chunk gains. It was explosives. And even though Jones doesn't have the biggest arm, he had a quick enough release, good enough feet, uh, and just a good process in general to get that ball out there with anticipation. So when he comes to New England, everybody thinks he's going to go out there and be able to run the Brady offense flawlessly. To me, that was a, a misnomer. That, that, that was a red herring. Did not make sense. So through three weeks of the season, you've seen the Patriots be very like running back target heavy. Uh, James White on the check down, right? It's because when they are putting all those guys into the concept, they don't really have elite receivers in Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. Max just taking the easy completion. Max taking the underneath stuff that defenses are allowing him to James White. You saw in James White absence in week three, all of a sudden, Kendrick Bourne, his numbers go way up. Well, it's because Bourne replaced James White. He became the underneath option. He became the nickel and dime guy. Meanwhile, they're really struggling to get Jonu Smith moving. They're struggling to run the ball with Jonu, with Hunter Henry, and with uh, uh, their line, uh, what's their fullback's name? Jacob, Jacob Johnson, Jacob Jacobson, something like that. Number 49, big guy. Uh, they're, they're putting these guys out on the field and still struggling to run the ball. So they're not accessing that heavy personnel play pass part of the playbook that would be most analogous to what Mac Jones did at Alabama. So they're asking a player who was not a nickel and dimer, who was not a stay ahead of the sticks quarterback to become that player because that's the best personnel they have. And that's what Josh McDaniels has historically done calling plays at the quarterback position. So not built for the sort of offense that they have to run. I think if they're going to get to heavy personnel play pass, they need to get better play from their offensive line across the board. It's a good offensive line on paper, but it's actually not playing as well as you'd like for it to. Justin Heron has to play right tackle for them right now. I think he's really struggling. I think Michael and Wenu's playing well, but I think David Andrews is taking a little bit of a step back. Isaiah Wynn, I think, is a good tackle. He's not a great tackle. And so they're giving up pressures on blitzes. And they don't have a good pass-protecting line uh, running back right now with James White out. He's a pretty good pass protector. Damian Harris isn't that guy. So you don't have great offensive line play. You don't have great pass protection from your backs. It becomes harder for those deep drop backs to develop. It becomes more difficult for Mac to have the time and the space to step up into those deep throws. And that's how you lose your deep passing game. So right now they're trying to be a nickel and dime team. And while we always hold that archetype in our head for the Patriots, this time it doesn't actually apply. That's not the team that they wanted to build with the big tight end free agent spending and with Mac Jones as their quarterback. So they need to make that change and get more oriented on explosives. And I think they need better offensive line play, A, to get better run play, to get better running down wins, and then B, to hold up in pass protection when they take those deep drops. So I guess the question, simple question, but difficult to answer is, do you think that Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick see what happened last week and make those changes very quickly for this upcoming game. That's the always the difficult part for us as we are not just analyzing what happened, but more so we're trying to bet on these games. And mm-hmm. we know that what they were doing isn't going to work. Do you think that they are going to be quick to make any of the changes that are going to show positive EV for this upcoming game? No, but I don't blame them. And the reason is because the Bucks just signed Richard Sherman. And the reason they just signed Richard Sherman is because their corner room is in a really tough spot right now. Um, Sean Murphy Bunting has been injured. Uh, Jamel Dean sustained injury uh, last week when they, when they were playing the Rams. So right now you saw Ross Cockrell out there for a majority of snaps and Dee Delaney out there for a majority of snaps. Uh, they bring in Sherman because they're a heavy cover three team. And they think that Sherman can come in. Obviously, Sherman's played well when he's when he's been playing in the past. They think they can plug him in pretty quickly and be successful. But the reality is that corner right now is reeling in Tampa Bay. It is their weakest spot on on defense comfortably. When corner is good for Tampa Bay, 
you try to target their linebackers because they run a lot of cover three. And Devin White doesn't have the best eyes in zone coverage. He's really fast, he's really explosive, but he just doesn't have a great head for it. So you can pick on him. So this is the sort of defense now. They're playing cover three, which is a great defense to throw underneath against. They have weak corner spots. And they, they have a linebacker who it's known you can pick on in zone coverage. This is the sort of team you want to nickel and dive. This is the sort of team you want to go heavy pass against. So we talked about it uh, last week. Why do teams have a higher pass rate against the Bucs? Because of Vita Vea, you don't, you don't try to run on this team. The Rams tried to run on this team even more than I expected. They got away with it, but you generally do not try to run on this team. So it looks like the sort of team that you want to nickel and dime. And I think they'll have a lot more success doing that as opposed to going up against the, uh, the Saints who play much tighter coverage across the board. They'll play more man. They have better matchup players. So I think you will get a bounce back game for game manager Mac Jones. I think you will get some efficient moving down the field, that quick passing game. I don't think it would be enough to match the Bucks' offense, but I do think they stay on their model for this week because the yeah, matchup now, and does getting, And getting to your point about uh, the the Rams getting away with it last week, that's because they were so good on third down. But you're right, early downs, that offense, we'll talk about them momentarily, was not as good. The numbers, the, the scoreboard looked like this Rams team just went up and down the field with a lot of ease. And while they put up points, uh, they were great on third downs, but they struggled a little bit on early downs compared to what you might expect. The main question that I have before we move to the other side of the ball, Ben, um, obviously it sounds good that Mac will be able to get the ball out quickly and read the defense and hit some of the underneath stuff with a little bit high rate of success. But he was pressured a ton from this Saints defensive line last week. The Bucks, we know this is their strength of their defense. Uh, how much do you feel like Mac is going to get pressured relative to last week? Do you think that that pass pro is going to stand up and get a little bit better in this game against the Bucks, Or is it going to be more the same where Mac is just going to have to deliver under pressure because this Bucks defensive front is so good? Yeah, that's what I'm really interested to see is the, the play of the running backs in pass protection. It, running backs and pass protection is the classic thing that like as fans, we look at it and we're like, okay, whatever. And coaches will go absolutely nuts, right? Like they care. Bill Belichick's an old football coach. He cares. The running back play in pass protection last week against the Saints was abysmal. Uh, they have to get better there. And that's the thing that I'm watching this week that I'm not sure about. What will that plan be? Brandon Bolden was not that guy. JJ Taylor was not that guy. Damian Harris was not that guy. They have that rotation. They probably don't think they can bring the rookie Ramondre Stevenson if he's available and put him in that role. Like uh, uh, They don't have that player right now. So I think you're probably going to be heavier on tight ends and keep those extra guys in on pass protection. You do feel like Mack can throw into the teeth of the blitz, something he did at Alabama. He did against the Saints really well, too. The Saints were emptying the tank against him, getting a lot of pressure. He was willing to trigger. He missed some throws, had a couple drops as well, but he was willing to trigger and had some nice throws. So he's always been good against the blitz. So I think it's keep a tight end in. We'll see who they like as they're running back on third and long. But Mack is okay against the blitz. If Bowles is blitzing you, and trust me, he's going to blitz you, you feel pretty good, especially for a rookie quarterback, about what Mack can do against that. The problem is it's always going to be shallow. So if he's blitzing you on third and eight, maybe you can get away with it. Five-yard completion, turn up field, go get the sticks. It's third and 12. And that's where they were a lot because their running game really struggled against the Saints. They were in second and long, third and long, like nine plus. That's where, all right, we have to be able to hold this blitz for an extra second to let these routes develop downfield. That's where they're going to be weak. So if we can win on early downs with a quick passing game, we can win on early downs with our running game. If they blitz us on third and six, we're confident our quarterback can handle that. It's third and 10 and longer where really I don't think they have the, the bodies to hold up in protection long enough to get that ball down the field. So on the other side of the ball, I'm going to save the matchup of the week, the best 
matchup for a second here. Let's attack first the run game. Tom Brady had the fourth best early down EPA per pass attempt against the Rams last week of any quarterback in the league. He averaged plus 0.37 EPA per attempt, 9.4 yards per attempt and a 68% success rate. But they averaged the fifth worst early down rushing EPA, minus 0.22 EPA per attempt, only 2.1 yards per carry. That inability to be able to run the football against the Rams, coupled with the scoreboard itself, where the Bucs were obviously trailing, caused the Bucs to slowly, over the course of the game, run the ball less and less and less on first down. We know that was the big criticism of them last year. They've shifted more to passing on first down this year. Over the course of the game, first quarter, they were 60% pass on first downs. Then they moved to 67% pass in the second quarter, 75% pass in the third quarter, 100% pass in the fourth quarter because they were obviously down. Um, the Saints were able to, although the yards per carry numbers don't indicate it, they got a little bit of production on the ground, at least enough to make Jameis Winston not have to do too much, which is exactly what in Sean Payton's perfect world happens. In Sean Payton's perfect world, the defense plays great. We can run the ball, hopefully great, but if not, at least enough so that Jameis doesn't have to do too much. And of course, Sean Payton ridiculed Jameis after throwing that touchdown, right? So like Amazing. he doesn't have a lot of confidence. He doesn't have a lot of confidence in what Jameis is doing out there. Um, and so it was perfect for him last week to not need to lean too much because of the scoreboard itself. Um, what's going on with the Bucks run offense? Do you think that they're going to be able to do anything on the ground in this game? against the Patriots where the Saints were able to have, you know, moderate success a little mm -hmm. bit. All right, Warren, I'm going to do a quick heresy. Are you ready? Here we go. Yep. Running backs matter. Leonard Fournette is bad. They got to get a better running back. It's it, it really is. Like, that's a good run defense. That's a good front that they were facing with the Rams. They're, they ran just their their standard stuff. You know, when you face the Bucs, you know you're going to get duo inside zone, split zone. They're trying to run the ball between the tackles. Uh, they ran the standard stuff. They got some good standard looks. Fournette and Ronald Jones just really aren't super talented runners. Fournette just is kind of like, ah, I'm big and strong. Let's go this way. You know what I mean? And then Ronald Jones has always been a little indecisive. If they had a better back that could maximize those holes, they'd be able to get better run offense out uh, against a team like the Rams. But this is really what the Rams do to you, right? You watch that Bucks offense early, right? We're both offensive kind of feeling each other out. Nobody's putting points up yet. And they're doing their runs and early downs, same as usual. They're running their vertical play action off of duo, off of inside zone, same as usual. And they're getting to third and manageable, same as usual. And then Gio Bernard gets tackled one yard short of the sticks twice. Rob Gronkowski drops a corner route that was like a little bit long, but still catchable. Easy mistakes on, on third down. Like Tyler Johnson is out there for Antonio Brown and, and he and Tom Brady are off on their timing on an out route and it's incomplete. You know what I mean? Like they were kind of on their schedule and listen, we know the Bucs could be like much more aggressive, much more ahead of schedule, but this is how they typically play it. And they were just missing on third down. So I'm not terribly concerned. I think that's just what the Rams defense does to you. They put a roof on top of you and they make you execute really, really, really well. Not what the Patriots are going to do. Um, the Patriots defense right now is just middling, which is not what we're used to in a Bill Belichick defense. And a big part of that is there's no Stephon Gilmore. They're not playing as much man coverage as they usually do because Jalen Mills is one of their outside corners right now. But also their interior front isn't playing super well. Uh, Devon Godshaw, who was a free agent signing for them, I think is struggling right now, defensive tackle. Henry Anderson is like a good rotational player, but he's taken a lot of uh, a majority of snaps. They're playing rookie Christian Barmore out there. Uh, their defensive tackle rotation isn't as good as it usually is, especially against the run. 
Godshaw and Barmore want to play upfield. They're not as good two gappers. Uh, so right now, this is a, a, a front you should be able to move in the interior. That's where the Bucks' offensive line is the strongest. That's where they want to run the football. I expect them to bounce right back just because the matchup's a little bit easier. Okay, and then we will get to the final matchup of the day before we move to some of these other games in a little bit more faster pace, but we need to dig into briefly the big one. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady setting the all-time career passing yards record against his mentor, Bill Belichick. How do you foresee Bill Belichick trying to slow down this passing attack? Obviously, Tom Brady now has a lot more weaponry than he did during his time the last couple of years in New England. What does Bill Belichick try to do against it? Who do you think has the upper hand in this matchup? And, and you know, how do you see foresee the day going for Tom Brady? Yeah, I uh, as I brought up, the Patriots defense has kind of just been uh, middle tier so far through three weeks, not what we're used to. But the reality is that right now, especially with the Gilmore injury, they just don't really have, excuse me, the Gilmore, uh, the PUP absence. Uh, they just simply don't have the the guys that they'd like to, to be able to play straight man coverage. They're kind of middle of the pack in man right now. Uh, and what you would really want to do is you'd want to be able to take Gilmore, put him one-on-one with Evans, Stop worrying about it. J.C. Jackson can follow Antonio Brown or Chris Godwin around, whichever one you like, because they both go outside and play in the slot. J.C. Jackson has the ability to play both spots. Uh, then you can take Devin McCourty, maybe Kyle Duggar, depending on how you feel about the rookie, put him on Gronk and say, these are our matchups. We can live and die with these. Uh, and I think probably they would end up bracketing Gronk a lot too, because I think uh, Belichick kind of understands what Gronk can do to a defense. He's seen it firsthand a lot of times. Um, but that's how you'd like to do it. You don't have Gilmore. And so now J.C. Jackson against uh, Mike Evans isn't a size matchup that you love. You probably want to put him more so, like I said, in the slot on Godwin or on Brown. Now you're leaving Mills against Mike Evans. That's going to go really, really poorly. Uh, that's, that's just simply not the matchup that you want. So they're going to have to play more zone. Uh, and they're going to have to try to get creative, spinning, rotating, changing who the robber is, right? changing who that underneath hole defender is, and trying to just keep the ball in Brady's hands for a half tick longer. But when you when you play zone against Tom Brady, it's a, it's a losing proposition no matter what. And that's a, something that, again, I think Bill Belichick is, is intimately aware of, right? Like, when you think about Belichick being able to attack weaknesses on quarterbacks, what's Brady's weakness? Like, oh, it's pressure in his lap. Like, we've always said this. It's not even real. Like, it doesn't actually impact him that much. It's not that detrimental. He's still a really good quarterback with it. So this is a matter of we're going to play zone. We're going to make you take underneath checkdowns. We're going to make you put together 12-play drives, and we're going to try to win in the red zone. I don't think it'll be a pressure-heavy uh, script because I, don't, I think Belichick knows that won't work, and I think it won't be a man-heavy script because I think Belichick knows that won't work. So you sit in zone, you grit your teeth, and you understand that you're going to give up a lot of points. Um, but to me, I don't see anything that the Patriots have personnel-wise that matches up against this Bucks offense. And that's true of, like, 30 defenses in the league. That's the nature of the Bucks' offense right now. Yep. That doesn't say anything too negative about the Patriots' defense. The Bucks' offense is just really good. What can we say? They won the Super Bowl last year. They're playing better than they were. They're being coached a little bit more intelligently, too, doing things that optimize their efficiency a little bit better than they were to start last season. Last word on this game, Ben, and then we're going to run through five games, some matchups for these five games, and then do a little rapid fire to close out the pod. This game right now, open five and a half, has been bet up to six and a half or seven points. Um, the New England Patriots right now are the are the underdogs, obviously. Uh, the total sits at 49. Now, the funny part about this is, remember last week, the New Orleans Saints, in this same venue up in New England, were catching three points. 
Now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are laying basically seven points. Mm -hmm. That's a significant swing. And are we saying on a neutral field that the Bucs are actually 10 points better than the New Orleans Saints? And that would be interesting. This line obviously is elevated to account for the fact that a lot of the public is probably going to be betting on Tom Brady here. Uh, a lot of the public is going to be coming in on the Bucks to cover this spread. And so the bookmaker knows it doesn't matter if we set it at four or five and a half or six or six and a half. Um, because they're going to still keep betting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do you think is the final result? The seven-point spread, six-and-a-half, seven-point spread, and the total at 49. Yeah, so I it opened at five-and-a-half. I was one of those public shills who took it at five-and-a-half, right? And I, it, it's a narrative buy, but I'm I'm there on that. I've seen enough Tom Brady to know that when he's on, he's on, you know what I mean? And in this Bucks offense, that can be really special. So I think, right, you're looking at uh, covering the five-and-a-half. I would lean under on the 49, I think that there's a, uh, I think it's a good line. I think it's appropriately priced. If I'm anywhere, I'm under on it simply because I do think that this, as I say, this Patriots offense, we're really starting to see the cracks uh, develop in the facade a little bit. The loss of James White is big. It's bigger than you, you think for a rotational back, but with how integral he was to the quick passing game and to pass protection on play action, on play action, uh, that loss is huge. And we saw against the Saints, they really don't have the guys to just immediately account for it. So if the Patriots are going to stay quick underneath passing game, and as I say, the uh, the Patriots defense is going to try to make the Bucks into that as well, that turns our pace down, which makes it tough to hit the over. So I'd probably lean uh, uh, on the under there. I think the, the Patriots are going to struggle to score more than 14, 17 points in this one. So I like the Bucks to cover. Yeah, I think this is one of those games. Some of these games, Ben, are, are very correlated side in total. I think if... If the Patriots can be the side in this game, then it's a lower scoring game. The way that this game goes over, in my opinion, because I, I tend to agree, I don't really see this massive offensive outburst by the Patriots in this spot. If this game is going to go over the total, it's because the Bucs run away with it. Yeah. I think the Bucs, you know, are scoring a lot of points and, the, and they push the game over the total more so. Um, but if, if, if the Patriots are the side, if you want to probably, we'll see what happens by the end of the week. But if you want to back the bookmaker and, and grab the Patriots at the seven, um, you're probably hoping for a lower scoring game to begin with. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Let's move on to another game that has a really interesting component of super strong defense, number one in the NFL, the Carolina Panthers. And one of the themes that we're going to have this week, Ben, is as we look at these games and as we sort of try to handicap these games, this is a very, you know, week two is that overreaction week, right? What happened week one? What's the overreaction? Um, week three, you're really looking at some matchups. I think this week, heading into week four, you really do have to start to consider strength of schedule and who these teams have played. And if you just look at pure statistics, because now we have bigger sample sizes and people are starting to dive into, oh, well, this team ranks this against that. And this team is, you know, the third rated defense uh, against this and, you know, the best offense in passing. You, you really do, since the sample size is bigger, but still not big enough, have to really consider who you played. Um, and so I think that's going to be a big theme this week. So we're going to move through these next five games at a little bit faster pace. But 
Carolina-Dallas. This is the only matchup on the 1 p.m. slate between teams that both have winning records. This is also a matchup with teams that are both undefeated against the spread. And thus, if you've been backing the Panthers for a couple weeks, you probably want to back the Panthers again. If you, People like to bet on the teams that are making them money. If you've been betting on Dallas, once again, you're going to keep betting on the Cowboys. Carolina's defense has played offenses that rank on average 17th on the season, but now they got to play the number sixth ranked offense of the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys offense have played defenses that rank on average 18th on the season, but now must play the number one Panthers defense. So both of these teams on that side of the football, when Dallas has the ball, are going up against a a team, a side of the ball on the other uh, side of the sideline that is significantly better than the competition they've played so far. Let's start with the Panthers' defense. How do you see their secondary making up for the loss of J.C. Horn? And do you believe this secondary is able to contain this explosive passing attack of the Dallas Cowboys? Yeah, so I I did a heresy earlier with the running back thing. I'm back. Defense is not sticky. Offense is. I believe in the Cowboys, right? That's how we do it over here in in the nerd shop. That's correct. Uh, Yeah, when I look at on film what the Panthers' defense has faced and how they've gone about it as opposed to what Dallas has faced uh, in their offense and their matchups and how they've gone about it, I have faith in Dallas. Uh, We wanted, even before the J.C. Horn injury, we really wanted to see this Panthers defense go up against a team that had legit winners at wide receiver. When you look at their their schedule against the Jets, uh, against the Saints, and then against the Texans, Brandon Cooks and Corey Davis were really the best receivers that they were facing, right? And they get... uh, Corey Davis and Wilson's first career start. They're able to dominate up front uh, because the Jets' offensive line is really rough. The Saints is another team that they're able to win up front with a really good interior, but Marquez Callaway not really stressing their their coverage on the outside. And then, of course, the Texans and Davis Mills' first career start. So two of their three starts have gone a rookie's first career start, right? I'm, I'm very suspicious of that, especially because Phil Snow, their defensive coordinator there, is going to put five guys up on the line, bare fronts, right? We are going to own these upfront gaps. He can play with two linebackers still, right? They're going to be plus one in the box count. What does that mean? Single high safety, man cover on the outside. They, they took a rookie in J.C. Horn and said, go erase wide receiver ones. And that worked for a few weeks, but he wasn't really getting big challenges. We already wanted to see Amari Cooper and C.D. Lamb go up against this structure because it was something that we thought they'd really be able to eat against. They, Prescott could just move the ball by just hammering wide receiver targets over and over. Now J.C. Horn's gone, and it's C.J. Henderson, right? Or it's Dante Jackson coming in. It's however they're going to try to divide up those snaps. This, to me, this this could be one of those... I, I think Prescott's playing outside of his mind right now. He's got like a completion percentage of 77%. Dude's absolutely ludicrous. He's such a good... He's such a smart quarterback, too. Like They, they, they get into these wacky blitz packages in Carolina. The exact sort of quarterback you don't want to see is a quarterback like Dak, who will walk up, he will hard count if he needs to, but he doesn't always. And he'll just point out where he wants protection. He'll set it, right? they got a really uh, a veteran offensive lineup there. He'll help center Tyler Biotish figure out where the protection needs to go. And then he'll sit back there and dice you up. And you saw it against the Eagles. If, it, if that means eight targets to Dalton Schultz, it means eight targets to Dalton Schultz. They do not care because of the amount of weapons they have. So to me, this is a very wide receiver heavy game script because of how Carolina lines up. It's going to be a lot of CeeDee Lamb targets. CeeDee Lamb's been amazing. It's off coverage all year. That's how Carolina usually lines up their guys, especially Dante Jackson, who's likely going to get the lamb ask. Uh, I think it's going to be a heavy lamb game, heavy Cooper game, and I think the Cowboys are going to be able to pass the ball shockingly well. Quick releases, but a lot of yak, a lot of hitting receivers in stride and working with that empty space in the second level. I think it's a big passing game for Dallas. Question for me is more so, can Carolina's offense keep up? Yep. So, now, and you, real quick, 
Dallas O-line will hold up fine against this pass rush and this uh, blitz packages of Phil Snow? Yes. Uh, like, as well as you can expect, it's a pretty good blitz package. Prescott's just really, really good at getting rid of the ball when he needs to, right? The the fumble touchdown against the Eagles aside, he's been really, really good against pressure so far this year, especially as he's getting more and more comfortable, more and more healthy. Brian Burns is a guy you inevitably lose a couple reps to. He's a really, really good rusher. But in general, uh, I think they're going to be great. So you mentioned the quick release and getting rid of the ball quickly and having success against this defense. This is kind of what the Panthers have been doing as well with Sam Darnold. On the season, the Panthers quietly have the sixth best early on offense the first three quarters of games, averaging plus 0.18 EPA per play. Darnold is actually averaging nine yards per attempt. Amazing what happens when you get rid of Adam Gase. On early downs in the first half of games, the Panthers are actually the eighth most pass-heavy offense. So passing ball a fair amount. Darnold keeps going over 300 yards per game. Talk to me about this Cowboys pass rush. It's looked really good the last couple of games particularly, Mm -hmm. uh, against this Panthers early down passing attack and what Carolina wants to do, which is eighth most pass-heavy offense, get the ball in Sam Darnold's hand, especially you don't have Christian McCaffrey back there as your running back. Yeah, I like to pretend I know how football works, but if you told me that the Cowboys lost to Marcus Lawrence and the pass rush got better, I would have told you you were nuts. But that's (laughs) apparently how things go, right? This this pass rush has uh, improved. We're seeing a cool thing in Dallas and with the Chargers, excuse me, not with the Chargers, but the Raiders, where two cover three disciples, Dan Quinn in Dallas, Gus Bradley uh, with the Raiders, come in and listen, the scheme is known, the weaknesses are known, but also the prototypes are known, the strengths are known, it's familiar. And they just take a, a, a set of personnel, a defensive grouping that underachieved last year, put some players in some good spots, give them some rules, and let them go, right? And that pass rushing for the Raiders is really, really, really helping them out. Dallas, to a lesser effect, because their pass rush hasn't been as good, but they've gotten some really, really timely turnovers. And that's my concern. Teams have moved the ball against Dallas well. And then in the red zone, they can turtle, right? We saw the Chargers with multiple red zone turnovers two weeks ago. We saw the Eagles throw the pick on the one-yard line to Jalen Rager early in that game. The Cowboys' defense has not given up the points that perhaps their yardage output and their success rate would indicate. So if Sam Darnold's legit, this is a game where he should move the ball against this team. He should be able to get quick target to DJ Moore, who's been really, really important to them. They should be able to find uh, a more underneath opportunity for Robbie Anderson. The absence of Christian McCaffrey is humongous because when you're very heavy on the early down pass, it's because you know you have a running back who if you're going to check it down to him four yards behind the line of scrimmage, he'll get more out of that than any running back in the league. So that, that gives you a little bit of boldness to be that heavy on the early down pass because you feel really good about your safety valve. And so they have to find more underneath stuff for Robbie Anderson, uh, continue to, to hammer DJ Moore, and I think they can move the ball. What really worries me is, as you brought up, Dallas' pass rush is playing better. Carolina right now is tied 32nd in the league in pass block win rate through three weeks. And they face the Saints, good defensive front, but the Jets and the Texans, not so much. Uh, and they're getting rid of the ball quick enough, but Donald's been under a lot of pressure. Uh, and he started to take some bad sacks against Houston, which is a, a tendency in his career. And habits don't go away for quarterbacks. So I'm worried this gets into a, a few more long and late downs because there's no McCaffrey. Cowboys turn that pass rush up a little bit. Donald has to hold on to the football. Could turn into a high sack game. Could turn into a high turnover game for the Panthers. So this, to me, the biggest heat check. There's a lot of heat checks. Dallas offense, Dallas defense, Carolina offense. The biggest heat check is Sam Donald. If you've really taken a step forward out of New York, this is the sort of team play mistake-free, smart football, and you will move the ball on them. Hold on to the football, you know, uh, double clutch, make one mistake, they will punish your mistakes. Final word on this game, the Carolina Panthers are catching four 
four and a half points and the total sits at 50 and a half. Any thoughts on either? I think that, uh, I think that Dallas is able to cover, uh, is able to cover at four and a half at home. I do think that the over on 50 and a half does look good simply because these are two pass heavy teams who do have a faster pace. And so I think we can see that and we can see some explosive plays. The Cowboys have been susceptible to deep passes and Carolina, while they haven't so much been susceptible to deep passes yet, like I said, I don't think they've been tested and the loss of JC Horn's really big. Uh, And so to me, I think high scoring game, I think Dallas covers. I got really burned believing that they were going to give us CD Lamb a lot of targets against the Eagles and I'm back to the well. I think CD Lamb gets a big day. Big day for CD. Let's go. Um, Cardinals Rams, big game, NFC West. I really am interested to hear your take on the Cardinals offense from last week because a lot of people sit back, they don't watch the game because it's a crap game, Cardinals against the Jaguars. Uh, and the Jaguars are up 13 to seven at halftime. What in the world's going on? The undefeated Cardinals are, are losing to the winless Jaguars and Arizona puts up only seven and a half points, seven points. But you look back at the data and you see that on early downs in the first half, the Cardinals were the second best EPA per play team in the league last week, averaging plus 0.30 EPA per play. Kyler was 11 of 11 on these early down pass attempts with a 91% success rate, 9.9 yards per attempt. Part of the issue was they had terrible field position. Um, they When they started their... They had four drives, their first four drives to start the game. Three of the four, they started inside their own 15-yard line Mm -hmm. and had some penalties on a couple. Uh, The drive they started at their 44, they scored their only touchdown of the half. Um, But Kyler's stats, coupled with the overall efficiency, doesn't seem to mesh with the point production on the scoreboard. They only had one drive that got into the Jaguars' red zone in their first seven drives, and we don't really think too highly of the Jaguars' defense. So now that this Cardinals team is going up against the Rams' defense, they're going to have to perform a little bit better than they did on the road against the Jaguars. Now, take into consideration is a 1 p.m. start in Florida for a team that's from Arizona and it's a young team. It's not like a Seattle Seahawks team that's experienced and performs well in these spots. Not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but talk to me a little bit about your feelings on the Cardinals offense and their performance last week against the Jaguars. Anything you could take from that? Yeah, every film guy in the world hates the Cardinals offense because it's fake and it's not real. It's stupid. It's it's backyard football. (laughs) Uh, uh, Nate Tice of the Silent Catters on the Athletic Football Show likes to say it's a collection of plays because that's what it is. It's not like a scheme. There's no coherence. There's no like serious football. Like, oh, we run this so that it looks like this so that we can set up that. So, like, there's no uh, connections. It's just like, ah, oh, this play is cool. Run it. Okay, now we're gonna do something else. Like, there's it's it's very disjointed and that invites backyard football by Kyler, who's already a quarterback who wants to get there. Kyler wants to get to outer structure. Kyler wants to get to, I'm running around like an RC car, 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage, right? And so that disjointedness is easier to conceal on a 56-yard field than on an 85-yard field, right? There's just simply, there's going to be more plays on that 85-yard drive, and you're going to get more uh, uh, penalties. The Cardinals have been a high offensive penalty team under Kyler and under Cliff because when they try to go RPOs, Kyler will hold that ball a little bit too long, and it's a legal man downfield. Uh, Kyler will go running around in the defensive back or in the offensive backfield, excuse me, and it'll elicit a holding penalty. Right, backyard football invites penalties, it invites chaos. Uh, and so when you put them in a bad down and distance or put them in a bad field position situation, you're creating more space for those mistakes. And um, because they're not a very uh, consistent, efficient, we know what our buckets are team. If you get them behind the sticks, then they're kind of just hoping to pick up an explosive to get that ball down the field. So it's a very volatile offense, very chaotic offense. 
against uh, the Rams, a team that simply looks like they're going to put up 35 points in every single game. It doesn't really matter what you do. That's hard. If you catch really positive regression, I, I remember that primetime Cardinals-Seattle uh, game from last year, the DK Metcalf chase down tackle game. That was a, an example of like prime uh, positive regression for the Cardinals. The Bills game, right, where they were close there at the end. Prime positive regression. But then they'd have their games where they'd score like 16 on the Giants. And you're like, what are you doing? Like this, you're supposed to be good, right? That's the volatility. Tough to trust that against a Rams team that A, puts a roof over you on defense, tries to take away the explosive play, and B, has an offense that seems like they can they can score at will. Throw in some of the offensive line injuries, uh, and that's going to be a very, very high scramble game for Kyler. Looks great for fantasy owners. Not so great for the Cardinals being able to move the ball down the field. It seems like every time that Sean McVay goes up against these guys, even with Jared Goff, uh, and, and with Jared Goff, because the last game of the season, they did not have Jared Goff with his finger, and they didn't score very many points. But every single time that they go up against this Cardinals defense, he's scoring 30-plus points, as you kind of indicated. On the other side of the ball in this matchup, let's talk about the Rams' offense. Um, with first respect to starting the conversation with the Cardinals' defense, Trevor Lawrence had his best day as a pro against this Cardinals defense. On early downs in the first half, he was 10 of 12, 8.7 yards per attempt, 83% success. It was his first game that he wasn't in the bottom of the NFL at completion percentage over expectation. He actually had a positive completion percentage over expectation against the Cardinals. Um, they have not played very good offenses, the Cardinals. They played the Jags, the Vikings, and the Titans so far this season. The first game of the Titans with their new offense coordinator without Arthur Smith. Now they've got to go up against the number one offense in the Rams. It's easy to say the Rams should have success and score 30 points like they always do. But I want to dive into briefly what this Rams offense did on early downs. And I know you indicated like they were trying potentially to run the ball a little bit too much against the Bucs last week. On early downs in the first three quarters against the Bucs, Matthew Stafford only averaged 5.6 yards per attempt. He was only 14 of 23 the offense as a whole averaged minus 0.3 EPA per play. The run game, of course, not good. 3.0 yards per carry and a 36% success rate. Where they got a lot of their production and how they had some of their bigger plays was third downs. They crushed. They were the number one offense in the NFL on third downs the first three quarters. Instead of averaging minus 0.3 EPA, 0.03 EPA per play on early downs, they averaged plus 1.36 EPA per play. And Stafford was dominant, averaged 17 and a half yards per attempt, 91% success, passing the ball on third down. That's ridiculous, 91% success rate. What did you notice from your film study about the Rams' offense last week against the Bucs? Um, and is there anything we can glean from that to help identify where they might have the specific edges in their game against the Cardinals this week? Yeah, I think the running game is going to be important again. Uh, don't know what the status of Daryl Henderson yet as of Wednesday morning, where I was going to get that practice report coming out. Um, but Henderson looked good when he had high volume with the Rams earlier this season before he got hurt. And the Cardinals running defense has been weird. It's, I would say it's a big question mark for me right now, right? We started the season against Derrick Henry, and it was awesome. And then we got Dalvin Cook, and it was the opposite of that. Uh, they gave up, I think, like 60 yards to Henry and then almost 140 uh, to Cook. And Alexander Madison in the back have had a good day as well. The Cardinals run defense right now, I think, is fourth in the league in, in uh, rushing yards per game allowed. And yet they've won all three of their games, right? Usually when you're giving up a lot of rushing yards, it's because you're losing games and teams are running the ball against you late. 
they're giving up running plays on on neutral downs pretty poorly. So the Rams, which I think their running game has been improved, even if it's just Sonny Michelle back there, I think they're going to be able to run the ball effectively. That means you can set up that play-action passing game. I know you don't need the running game to set up play-action passing game, but when you look at what they did against Tampa Bay, they were a very heavy straight dropback team, right? They were just on third and long, living with Matthew Stafford in the dropback passing game. I think this will be a much more familiar script for that Rams offense. We're going to run the ball. We're going to set up our motion. We're going to set up our boot action, set up our play action pass, and be able to push the ball that way. Byron Murphy been playing great at corner right now, but they're starting a fourth round rookie at Marco Wilson, who I think is keeping his head above water, but he now gets like either Deshaun Jackson or Robert Woods. This is not a good situation uh, to be in a, a, as a young uh, a young corner. We really saw the Rams try to open up that Deshaun Jackson aspect of their offense as well. That deep passing game is going to be sick if he's able to stay healthy. So to me, a little bit too much offensive firepower. Probably going to start with the running game when when the Rams face the Cardinals. Yeah, if Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy, that's that's uh, you know famous last words. I I'm, I love when he is healthy because mm-hmm. he absolutely is a dynamic player that can take the top off. This game right now sees the Rams as a four and a half point favorite opened at six and the total has been bet up from 52 and a half to 55. Do you agree with both of those moves, the moves with the money coming in on the Cardinals as the underdog and the game being bet towards the over? I agree with it being bet towards the over. We're starting to reach my cap here just because that Rams defense, like I said, they can put a roof on top of you, right? They can force you into those those drives and then you get volatility. And I don't want to trust the volatility of the Cardinals offense to give me the, you know, 20 odd points I need to hit 55. So I like the over at first. I think it's starting to get juiced up a little bit too much now. And yes, I think this is a good Rams spot. Uh, I know, you know, coming off the Bucks game, maybe it's a little bit of a of a, a letdown spot, but I really can't buy that narrative for myself because A, it's a divisional matchup. B, it's at home, and C, I mean, I don't know if you saw the Sean McVay clip at halftime. That boy's nuts. Uh, he's fired up in a half. Like, they are, oh, yeah. they're really, they're, I think this is exciting. Like, I think McVay's having fun. Like, it's Matt Stafford. Like, it's it, it's crazy offense. I was asked on a podcast the other day, like, who should I watch? Who's a fun, young, up-and-coming play caller? I was like, Sean McVay, keep watching him. Like, nobody's doing anything cooler. So, I, I, to me, I, I don't think it's a letdown spot. I think that they're able to, to take a big divisional win at home with some of the, the, gaps you've seen in the Seahawks and the Niners so far, this is the opportunity for the Rams to really take early control of the divisions. I do think they cover. I think that one of the reasons why at least the pros early on are betting the Cardinals is because they are predicting that it may be that letdown spot for McVay. That excitement that you saw, Mm -hmm. uh, the craziness that you saw, is it going to be able to carry over week after week? That was kind of their Super Bowl, beating Tom Brady in that huge game at home. Can they maintain that same level of energy against an opponent? Uh, That's going to be fascinating to watch. Speaking of a team that was not able to maintain that same level of energy, the Baltimore Ravens. They also had a Super Bowl-type performance against the Kansas City Chiefs, finally getting Lamar Jackson a victory over the Chiefs. They were in a huge letdown spot versus the Lions. And that offense drove into the Lions' red zone only twice in nine drives before the final drive ends in the 66-yard field goal. Everybody's going to remember that kick for the rest of their very lives. Um, The Ravens have played defenses so far that average a ranking of number 23. Not very good. Not very good defenses. Now they've got to take on Vic Fangio's number five-ranked Broncos defense They aren't off of a letdown spot like they were against the Lions where they were lucky to escape with a victory, Um, but they are uh, like that was a lot of emotion that they expense for a second week in a row trying to win a game at the buzzer. Uh, What is, first of all, before we talk about the Ravens offense, 
How do you anticipate Vic Fangio trying to defend Lamar Jackson here? Oof, man, great question. Uh, I love the, like, how do you defend Lamar questions? Because mostly it's like you shrug and pray, right? Like, there's like, oh, <laughs> I, I forget who it was a couple years ago. It was like, what if you scrape exchange? Yeah, everybody's trying to scrape exchange, man. Like, it's he's Lamar. Like, he, he breaks the rules. Uh, so what what do you do best? Well, with the corners that you have, Patrick Sertan's playing really well as a rookie you feel confident you can match up man-on-man. The Ravens have activated Rashad Bateman off of IR as their first-round pick at wide receiver. They need him to be good because it was a letdown spot against the Lions, and they did play them close, and they let them into the game, and the Lions did cover. But uh, Hollywood Brown left like 14 points on the field by dropping the football in in, in potential touchdown situations. Lamar was throwing the ball downfield really successfully. Uh, So if Bateman's back and is as good as they want him to be, and he looked great in camp right away, that's a big boost to this passing game. But even if you get that, which I'm not sure you should really count on in, in a rookie's first career start, Patrick Sertan with uh, Kyle Fuller. I can never remember which Fuller that they have there. There's two of them. It always throws me off. With Bryce Callahan, you think that you can match up man-to-man, which means that now you load up this box. You let your edges play fast. People always want edges to play slow, right? Oh, you got to read the mesh point. Absolutely not. Lamar will burn that guy in space every single time. Let him play fast into the mesh point. Let him crash. Let him take the running back right away. And then you're going to ask Justin Simmons to come down off the roof and make plays. You're going to ask Kareem Jackson to come down off the edge and make plays. You need those outside safeties to be able to turn Lamar back into help at the line of scrimmage. So it's going to be heavy box. They're not going to be as much too high rotation. They're going to sit. They're going to let you know they're playing one high. They're going to play man on those receivers. Lamar, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman have to be able to punish them through the air. The other thing that is really notable about this Ravens running game is that they benched Tyson Williams. Didn't get much run. He took 50% of the snaps. Had like, I want to say five carries. Uh, Had a fumble against the Chiefs. Not really great in pass protection. Don't know what the situation is there. But Tyson was the guy who could burn you with explosives. He has juice. Latavius Murray? Devontae Freeman? No. So if the Ravens are going to continue doing that, you let them run the football with those backs. Because if they're picking up four or five yards, okay. Like that, the Ravens running game is going to do that. When they get to the second and third level, they, they, they're not outrunning you. That's huge. That's, that's a, in my opinion, a big misstep on the Ravens' part. So if you've got Devontae Freeman back there, you've got Latavius Murray back there, blitz the mesh point, make Lamar give that ball away, and live with the results um, because you feel comfortable playing man coverage on the back end. And that's what some of the teams started doing last year. Um, last year, if you look at what Lamar's uh, yards per carry were, on plays that weren't quarterback scrambles, but were actually designed runs. He was not doing quite as well as he was in prior years. I think defenses were trying to take Lamar out of the game. So I think that that is exactly what you would want to do here, exactly to your point. Interestingly enough, though, Lamar leads the NFL right now in yards per completion and yards per carry. That's from Greg Rosenthal of the NFL. So, uh, you know, defenses are figuring out Lamar this year, right? That quote from the offseason that was every year they will. Every year they'll be so close. Never happened. Exactly. Exactly. So now talk to me quickly about the state of the union of this Ravens offense right now. I know you mentioned there was a couple bad drops and that really set them back a little bit against the Lions. If they can't do that much against the Lions defense, and now they're going up against Vic Fangio's defense here, what do you think that this Ravens offense needs to do to find success themselves? Uh, right. The the return of Bateman, right, as I brought up integral, Bateman is a possession-style receiver. When they when we talk about possession-style, we talk about like a Z receiver. We're talking about a player who we're not necessarily trying to, to stretch the field with him. We're not necessarily trying to give him like Debo Samuel yak touches. 
We're just trying to pick up a third and six. We know that he can separate. He can win catches through contact. He's a consistent, reliable player that will move the sticks for us on passing downs. The Ravens of years past, Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, all vertical, all explosive, didn't have that consistent guy. They bring in Sammy Watkins to hopefully be a little bit of that. They're not really getting that from Sammy. You're getting uh, 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 untimely drops, right? Like the, the, the pick the, the pick six against the Chiefs, right? They need Bateman to be that guy. That just gives you an extra set of downs on two or three more drives. And that's the thing with, with Baltimore is they're so good at staying ahead of the sticks because the running game is so effective. Their running EPA is actually positive, right? It's unbelievable. That Bateman presence lets you win those downs where you didn't get the early down run. You didn't get the second and six, right? You got put in third and seven, third and eight. That's where that player is important. If they if they had three weeks of him and we knew for sure that he was that guy, I would say with my chest, I think they can move it on the Broncos. I think they can. But uh, we haven't seen him. He's coming off of IR. I'm not sure we'll have that. Throw in the, uh, the concerns with the, the defensive front. Uh, Vaughn Miller, Bradley Chubb up against a really rough tackle duo. It's going to have to be a, a magical Lamar game. That's the only way that, in, in my opinion, they generate huge points. With that said, betting on a magical Lamar game isn't that bad of a bet. Uh, he tends to turn those out. Uh, and, and, and they've remained an efficient offense despite the Greg Roman limitations, despite the rotating backfield. He just simply breaks the rules, as I like to say, of NFL offense. So this game, interestingly enough, the look-ahead line, which the look-ahead line means that a line that the bookmaker posts before the prior week's game. So after the Chiefs game, before the Lions game, the bookmakers posted this as the Baltimore Ravens a one-and-a-half-point favorite. When they reopened following Sunday's games with the Lions almost beating the Ravens outright and, of course, the Broncos dispatching of a third opponent in pretty easy manner, the Broncos opened as a one-point favorite. But this has been slowly bet back a little bit from a juice perspective towards the Ravens. Right now, I mean, on a neutral field, obviously the bookmakers are saying that the Ravens at 2-1 and one are the superior team to the Broncos because the Broncos aren't getting full home field advantage in this number. Um, but they're posting this number saying, we're not sure who's going to win this game. We'll just let the betters decide uh, where this line moves from here. It's one soft juice. I'm seeing minus 05 at some spots. Total sits at 45. Any thoughts on the spread or total? Yeah, so I'm breaking my number one rule, which is I'm fading the Broncos at home in September. Uh, this is, again, this is a heresy, but I do not yet have the faith in the Broncos' offense in general, given the schedule that they've faced, to say that I'm positive they can put up enough points, right? They've gotten the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Jets. Those teams are combined 0-9. you got to beat a team that has won a game before you really get my trust. That's just, that, that to me, that's integral. Uh, the losses of KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy are big. Noah Fant needs to have a big role now. Uh, Third-year tight end, I want to say. Second-year tight end. Uh, who He needs to be their dynamic yards-after-catch guy because Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, who are now the starting outside receivers, really aren't that mold. And Bridgewater, who has been more aggressive, passing the ball down the field, that's great. Yep. That may not hold up when you start to get some better defenses. And even with the cornerback injuries, Ravens are still a pretty good defense. Ravens are going to blitz Bridgewater a lot. And they're going to tell him, all right, you're a deep passer now. Do it with do it with bodies in your face. Do it with free rushers. And I think that they're going to get Teddy to turtle a little bit. They're going to get Teddy to be an underneath passer. And if you had Jerry Judy, you had KJ Hamler, those yards after catch guys, you feel a little better about that. Those, those players aren't available. They're both out with injury. And so 
I think that this Broncos offense gets out of its model. It ends up being a little bit more volatile. It ends up being where explosives are bust. We're explosive or it's a holding penalty. We're an explosive or it's a sack. And that's not how you want to protect small leads, right? You don't want to be volatile. So I think they can get ahead of Baltimore. I'm not sure they can hold it for four quarters. I do think the Ravens are just simply the better team. I'll be very happy if I'm wrong. I'll eat my crow for Denver. My brother's a Broncos fan. He's been very upset with me because I'm not giving them their due. Got to beat a good team first. This is a big matchup for them. This would be a chance to beat a good team. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I know you want to talk a little bit about Justin Fields and that offense. I do as well. Before we do that, give me 60 seconds. Seahawks, 49ers, another huge game in the NFC West. A couple of great divisional battles in that division this weekend. 60 seconds, general thoughts. Right now, the the Seattle Seahawks are two and a half point road underdogs in San Francisco. The total sits at 52 points. Not touching this one. Two things I don't trust right now. Jimmy Garoppolo, who is playing extremely messy. Uh, I know that like the offensive general output numbers look fine. When you put Garoppolo under the microscope, he's throwing the ball at defenders. He's missing open receivers. Uh, I don't think he's comfortable with any sort of trash around him at all right now coming off of his injury. Uh, to me, he's not been like super limiting yet, but that's a matter of when, not if. Uh, I think we're going to start to hear further Trey Lance rumblings with more and more weeks. Going up against... A Seattle defense that I also don't trust because nobody looks like they know what they're doing. It was one of the uh, the shakiest Bobby Wagner games you've seen in a while uh, last week against the, the Minnesota Vikings. They've got no continuity at corner. They're moving guys around, trying to figure out where their matchups are. They keep making untimely penalties. Their pass rush is completely non-existent. This is a matchup of like bad versus bad, and I don't want to touch those because something's got to give, and I can't tell you what. Uh, so I really don't trust the Seattle defense right now. I think that's why you see the line slightly in San Francisco's favor. If it's a big rust game, they win. If Garoppolo has two dumb picks, then the Seahawks win. Like, There's just too much volatility here for me to want to touch it. These games are always crazy, but fun to watch for sure. Um, yeah. Before we get into some rapid fire, I definitely want to give you the floor here. You wrote a big article about Justin Fields. I can tell you this. Eli Manning held up more middle fingers on Monday Night Football than Justin Fields <laughs> had net passing yards on Sunday. The Bears averaged... 
too many yards to go, nearly 10 yards to go on third down, the most in the NFL. Those plays averaged only 0.9 yards. They needed to stay out of these third and long situations because those are obvious passing situations. And the only way that you can avoid those is by being more efficient on early downs. But you're going to tell us all about the five-man protections and the poor game planning that they had. Ironically enough, Fields was the most accurate college quarterback over the last five years on these intermediate throws of 11 to 19 yards, but they weren't even incorporating that great skill set that he brought to the table into this game. He had zero attempts in that range in the first half and to the entirety of the game. He's pressured a ton. No adjustments by Matt Nagy, which was the, that to me is almost even more frustrating than a crappy game plan, Ben. If you come up with a crappy game plan, I hate you. But if you refuse to make adjustments in the game to help out your quarterback, it just shows me that you don't even care that much. And that was really disheartening for me to see. Uh, But you wrote an excellent article. Everybody should go check that out on the Ringer um, website about Justin Fields and, and more more importantly, what Matt Nagy was trying to do or accomplish with this game plan. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what you saw, what the film said, what you think needs to change, and do you think Matt Nagy is capable of making these changes? Yeah, so it's very simple. Uh, If you watch Justin Fields at Ohio State and you said, oh, well, that guy's really big and really fast. It's really cool when he runs. That's awesome. Uh, He's got a really big arm. He throws the ball down the field really well. Like you said, one of the most accurate intermediate passers of the last five years in college football. Beautiful deep ball. Uh, explosive plays, loves to, loves to hang in the pocket, loves to wait that extra second and push that ball down the field. Cool. So you watch Justin Fields at Ohio State, take everything he's good at, and then just design an offense for the complete opposite. And that's what the Bears did on Sunday. Like It, it, it truly, I don't think they knew who Justin Fields was because there's no other explanation besides saying, all right, like, we like quick game. Double slants is fun. Stick is good. Like These are classic West Coast concepts. Let's just run that. And you have a guy who, he wasn't a bad quick game passer in college, but what were the knocks on Justin Fields? It was, oh, he's a bad processor because people saw him just staring down his first read and holding that ball for an extra pat, right? An extra hitch, an extra second. He likes to see it develop. He's got an elongated release, right? He kind of dips that ball a little bit. It's a longer, it's not a quick Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Garoppolo release. None of this is conducive to quick game passing in the NFL. Just isn't. And it's not like he ran this offense in college. You're trying to keep him somewhere he's familiar. He didn't run this offense in college. They're not giving him these sort of looks. They're giving him fewer guys in the concept and more downfield routes, more intermediate breaking routes. They just didn't. It, it, again, it's as if they did not watch the player at Ohio State. They just had him in the building. They were like, I wonder if he's good at this. Right. So just agnostic of his skill set. Throw in the fact that your offensive line is abysmal right now. And you should have known this. You've been watching your team for the last couple of weeks. And you you can't sit back and, and like you say, drop in five-man protection. You're going to get immediate pressure. You don't want to leave a player like Fields just sitting in the middle of the pocket. And it becomes even more perplexing that this, for some reason, was the approach. And like football guys will tell you, when we have a bad offensive line, we want to live in five-man protection. Why? Because it's simple. We know what it is and we know what it isn't. We know where it's strong. We know where it's weak. When we do six man and seven man, that's where we, we might think we have a guy blocked up, but there's a miscommunication. We have new guys on the offensive line. We weren't expecting a pressure and then we got one. We'd rather just live in five man and then we'll know where our pressures are coming from. Yeah, you get, but once you give up four sacks in the first half, you should probably change something. It's your point, <laughs> right? Like, all right, sure, you can make that the game plan. You make that the theory, but when it doesn't work, stop and do something else. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's just a disheartening uh, lack of awareness, lack of, 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 of a tether to reality of what's actually happening in the game and what needs to change. Will anything change for this coming week against the Lions? I don't think so. 
I have no reason to believe that Matt Nagy and, and his coaching staff is going to be able to make these changes. I have not seen it in, in the past few years of Chicago Bears offensive football. Would love to see it. Don't get my hopes up. I think the offense will generally look better because the Lions defense is worse than the Browns defense. But uh, it's still not going to be conducive to the way you want to play football with Fields. And so Fields is a very talented player. Nine sacks in his first career start is immediately putting him on the path where he's going to get burned a little bit. He's going to start to develop some bad habits. So this is, it's not like, you know, DEFCON 5, but it is red alarms flashing a little bit. If you keep putting him out there like this and you keep running this offense, he keeps taking sacks, you will David Carr him. And that is a horrible, horrible way to treat the the, the second rookie quarterback, rookie contract quarterback, I should say, that you've gotten handed as the head coach of the Bears. So it's very disappointing stuff. Yeah, not only that, I mean, you're trading up picks to acquire this asset. The number one priority needs to be let him have a good experience. We, we're not going to reach a ceiling this season, but let him have a good experience so that we can grow, we can take these lessons and move forward. And like you said, if you start going the opposite direction and developing bad habits because of how you're throwing him out there on an island, expecting him to be Superman and do things that he's not going to be capable of doing and excel where he wasn't excelling in college, just makes no sense. Matt Nagy, we're being very polite about this. This dude fucking is a problem and that's being less polite. Um, and so... I just don't know where we're going to see the ceiling from Justin Fields as long as Matt Nagy is calling plays. This game against the Detroit Lions, obviously the Chicago Bears right now, favored. They're favored by three points. Some spots it's down to two and a half. The look-ahead line was six. Everybody wanted to bet on Justin Fields catching seven points against the Cleveland Browns last week. I was not one of those people. I was going the opposite direction. And... And we were getting a little bit of line value because everybody wanted to bet on Justin Fields. The interesting part about this game, Ben, is that who wants to bet on 0-3 Jared Goff, right? Like on the road. So we're not seeing, I don't think we're going to see this massive liability towards the bookmaker, quote unquote, needing the Bears here. Um, But you are getting a line that's significantly different than what it was expected to be. The look-ahead number on this game was the Chicago Bears minus six. That is down to two and a half at some spots. That's through the four and the three um, in a game that you have Jared Goff on the other side of the football. So what is your take on this one? Obviously, the total has also been bet down. Look ahead was 44, open at 44, is now sitting at 42 at most spots as the time we're recording this. Any thoughts on the Bears laying the short number of two and a half to three or the total where it sits at 42? Yeah, so I, I again, I think our Lions result last week was lying to us a little bit just because the Ravens pass catchers left so many points out on the field. But listeners to the Wednesday show will know that I'm enjoying betting this Lions team as a dog because they are super amped up for every fourth quarter. Close uh, game, big blowout, no matter what, they're there. Uh, Jared Goff is generally playing mistake-free football, which is nice to see. Uh, and, and I don't think this Bears team did a good job getting pressure on uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, but I don't think they can be expected to consistently get that pressure every single time. Uh, and so I think that you're going to get some pressure on Goff, but not too much. And while we're still decently warm and not crazy weather in Chicago, Goff should be okay, right? I, I, don't, I don't think we have that second half Green Bay rain in the forecast as of just yet. Uh, and so for me, yeah, I, I do think this is a game where, again, Detroit keeps it close. I do think there's a, a chance for Detroit to have that backdoor cover. The total, uh, I, I do lean under, but at, once we get to like low 40s, I hate taking the under because it just is a sweaty, sweaty, sweaty watch. Uh, and so I, I think it's an ugly game. I think it's a heavy run script game. Both uh, backfields, DeAndre Swift and David Montgomery look great. Both teams should be running the ball more than they are. 
in my opinion. Uh, so I do think low scoring game, ugly game, lines cover and under makes sense to me. I think one thing people need to realize when they see two bad teams with potentially bad quarterback performances that are being expected, uh, you do tend to think under, but those bad performances can also lead to sacks, which can lead to fumbles, which can also you can get interceptions due yep. to pressures uh, and points can be scored, not just like set up short fields, but actual points scored by the opposing defense. So that is something that you need to factor in as well. Okay. Everybody loves the wild card round of the playoffs because a lot of different things can happen. Here we are, the wild card round of this podcast, which is the rapid fire section. I like that. I love to come out with key mismatch from you for any of the upcoming games that could make a difference in the result that we haven't discussed before. So throw it out there, open-ended question, any type of non-obvious mismatch or other mismatch that we haven't discussed that you think could be important and that listeners should be aware of. Yeah, so I, I like Washington to be able to cover against the Falcons right now. They're at one and a half. Uh, the Washington defensive line has generally underperformed. With that said, you do not get a better matchup as a defensive line this year than when you're playing the Atlanta Falcons. It is optimal. Uh, so that line has underperformed relative to talent, and I think they're able to bounce back against this Atlanta front. Uh, one and a half, like I get it because Atlanta's been in some tight games, but they're they're to me they're they're playing some bad. They're like the Giants. The Giants were generally more effective than they were. Atlanta caught some nice positive regression in that game. To me, uh, there's a case where Washington's able to cover uh, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, which is our upcoming Thursday night game. Chidobia Wuzier is playing really good ball. Jesse Bates playing excellent football. That Cincinnati secondary is actually better than it seems. And Trey Hendrickson, who was a little bit of an overpaying free agency, still a pretty good player. Cincinnati defense actually has some teeth to it. I know, again, not facing the best offense. They got Dalton and Fields in week two. They got Roethlisberger in week three. But this Jacksonville coaching staff to me is not trustworthy at all, especially on a short week. So I like Cincinnati to cover there as well. And then I'm on the Raiders Chargers under just because uh, that Raiders explosive passing game is going up against build a roof on your Brandon Staley defense and that Chargers passing game. Listen, early downs, finally good against the Chiefs, but still low A dot on play action. Still trying to run the ball in early downs. They're bashing their head against this wall. I don't think they stop. Uh, so to me, under 52 and a half is the line I like for that one as well. Yep, that's the big Monday nighter. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, with regard to Washington, you mentioned it, but... The Washington football team, they've played the third defenses on average this season that rank 13th on average. Now they're going up against the third weakest defense in terms yeah. of the Atlanta Falcons. Specifically from a passing perspective, Washington's played the 12th the defenses that average ranked number 12 versus the past now the 26th ranked Atlanta Falcons defense. So that should be interesting. Real quick, any game, we always talk about this each pod, we'll keep doing it. Is there any team that won last week and is now favored this week that you think is a good bet against team because either bad matchup or too overvalued off of a win last week. The options that we've got are the Bengals, the Bills, the Cowboys, the Titans, the Packers, the Rams, the Saints, the Browns, or the Chargers. Browns-Vikings is extremely tempting to me, but again, it's a situation where there's enough bad on both sides of the ball where I'm very scared of it. I think I'd rather take, right now the Saints are picking up six and a half against the Giants. I'm going to hope to get that line at, at seven, seven and a half, which is where you'll find it at some books. Um, because the Giants, they lost by 14 to the Broncos in the season opener, but they played Washington tight. They played the Falcons tight. Yes, they are 0-3, but they're generally, again, much like the Lions, a team that's willing to fight through four quarters, uh, that still has some good offensive talent. 
uh, going up against the Saints team that, yes, is really good defensively, but I do think offensively is going to run into some some struggles really, really hard to run the football against that Giants front. Dexter Lawrence is a monster. Aziz Ojolari, their rookie edge, is playing well. I think they can make this enough of a a low-scoring, slobber-knocker, ugly game that they could hold it within a touchdown. Yeah, and on the show sheet, uh, I did write Saints minus 66 and a half versus yeah, the Giants. Yeah, if you, if, you, if you can find that line, I would recommend taking it. <laughs> take, take the Giants at 66 and a half. You could tell this was like at 2, 2.30 at night. I stay up till like 3. I didn't, Actually, last night, we didn't go to bed till 4 during the season, especially early in the week. I'm, I'm busy working on stuff for teams and whatnot, so that's a little bit uh, part of my excuse, but 66 and a half is pretty crazy. Um, any team that lost last week, Ben, and is an underdog this week that you think has has value. The teams that we've got are the Jaguars on Thursday night, the Lions, the Texans, the Colts, the Eagles, the Seahawks, the Jets, the Steelers, the Patriots, or the Giants. We just mentioned the Giants. Mm-hmm. So don't pick them, but any of the others. Yeah, it's it's, it's the Lions again for me, right? This is, uh, Maybe we'll just make this a tradition of me believing in the Lions unnecessarily. Um, but I do think early in the season, when the weather's still nice, I, I, I like golf a little bit better. Uh, and, I, and I think this Lions team is still trying to fight. They, they probably think they have a good chance to beat the Bears off what they saw last week's film. So I think they're going to come out hot. I think they can run the football in Chicago decently well. So I, I like the Lions to be able to cover. As we do every show, we preview briefly the Thursday night game. That's the next football game that everybody that's listening to this is going to watch tomorrow night. Cincinnati Bengals. When is the last time they've been laying seven and a half points? Pretty crazy. Yeah. But that is the case against the Urban Meyer Jacksonville Jaguars on a short week. It's always difficult for the team that has less talent and worse coaching to come up with a game plan on short rest to try to attack a team that's superior in talent and is superior potentially in coaching. The place I wanted to start with this game, Ben, real quick, is the Cincinnati Bengals. They rank number four in defensive efficiency. They've played the Bears and the Steelers the last couple of weeks. How good is this defense, and how do you think that they match up with this Jaguars offense? What do you think Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence are able to do on Thursday? Yeah, so I don't think it's as good as it looks, right? We're talking a lot about strength of schedule, and we brought up, right, like you said, the Bears and the Steelers. With that said, they made a lot, uh, especially in terms of like the Bengals and how they historically spend in free agency, they made a lot of additions this year, right? They brought in Chidobia Wuzier, who I think's played really, really well from that outside corner. His health is a little bit of a question mark right now, but I believe they're hoping he can go for this game against the Jags on Thursday. I haven't seen an update as of Wednesday practice yet, so don't don't quote me on that one. But uh, Chidobia Wuzier playing really well for them, who they brought in in free agency. I, I said Trey Hendrickson as well. He's, again, like, is, did they overpay? Maybe, but it's still all right. Larry Ogunjobi, DJ Reader, BJ Hill. BJ Hill right now has three pressures and three sacks. That's the most hilarious thing in the world to me. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to stay, but just for Giants no. fans, it sucks because you look at three sacks, you're like, we're the worst. Yeah, only has three pressures. That's just about as lucky as it gets. So the, those free agent defensive additions are helping. I think they're enough to beat the bad teams. Jacksonville's got a, a decent offensive line, I think they can get some wins. Jacksonville's got a decent receiving core. I think they can get some wins. Lawrence is going to continue to be aggressive. He's going to continue to attack downfield windows. He's a learn-by-experiment player. I think Jesse Bates is going to have a big day because Jesse Bates one of the best deep safeties in the league, really good at baiting throws, really good at at, at film study player, knows the routes that are coming. I wouldn't be surprised if we get uh, another multi-interception 
uh, Trevor Lawrence game, and the Bengals are able to, to cash in on that with some short fields. On the other side of the ball, everything that we heard leading up to the season was relatively negative about the Cincinnati Bengals. We were hearing Joe Burrow coming back from his knee doesn't feel that comfortable in the pocket. The pressure might be getting to him. How's he going to perform? He obviously, we didn't see a whole lot of him in the preseason in terms of gameplay. And then you had Chase. Jamar Chase couldn't catch anything. What's going on with him? And all of a sudden, we see all these deep bombs that he's catching for touchdowns. Um, what do you think that this team is able to do against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Again, earlier, the statistics showed that though the Cardinals weren't scoring a lot of points, they actually were very efficient on the early downs against the Jaguars to start that game. Do you see the Cincinnati Bengals sticking with this run-heavy game, which after all has gotten them to 2-1 and one, and they are 7.5-point favorites? They don't need to make many mistakes. Or do you see them maybe looking to open it up a little bit on prime time spotlights on Joe Burrow and performing well against, you know, another number one draft pick on the other side of the field in Trevor Lawrence. What do you think about the Cincinnati offense? Yeah, I don't love the Cincinnati offense in general because I don't love we're going to live in empty. We're going to spread and shred. We're going to be quick game. We're going to make our quarterback be Peyton Manning in order to win. Right. I think that's been clear just how we've generally talked about offense on the pod. With that said, when you go up against the defense, who's got to play Andrew Wingard and for 100% of the snaps because they're lacking so much defensive backfield, right? They're just going to trade away CJ Henderson. That means Chris Claybrooks and Evan Lawson have to be important players when you go three wide, four wide. Yeah, spread them and shred them. Uh, they don't have the personnel to match you up, right? That, and that's been a problem for Jacksonville in every single game they played. You go back to the Arizona game where Arizona's net right. They're down by six at half and they're just able to walk out and pass the ball down the field. They do not have right now the horses in the secondary and they're not getting enough out of their pass rush to account for that. So, to me, this is a good matchup for a Bengals offense I generally don't like. Spread and shred. Burrow's going to get 45 attempts. He's going to have an 8 out of 7, and it's going to be high efficiency, right? It's going to be Joe Mixon targets on screen. It's going to be Tyler Boyd over the slot. Like It's going to be how they want to win games. And so I don't think Jacksonville has much of a chance in this one. You have to be able to cover Cincinnati to get to the quarterback. Otherwise, the ball's out too quick. So to me, a high-scoring game for the Bengals. High-scoring game for the Bengals. The line is 7.5 total right now. Sits between 45.5 and, and 46. Any quick thoughts, side or total? Yeah, so because you're getting that look, right, where you're getting seven and a half as the spread with only a 46-point total, you can get uh, the Bengals at over like 27 points. To me, that's my favorite bet for this one. I expect at least a three-touchdown game, throw out a couple short fields I was anticipating off of a heavy turnover team right now in Jacksonville, and you should be able to clear that point. So it's a, it's a decently high total for a Bengals team, but it is one that I think they're able to reach. Uh, so I, I like the Bengals to cover. But I do, my, my favorite look for Thursday night is over for the team total on the Bengals at 27. Excellent. Well, that'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast is doing great numbers and you guys are the reason why. We will be back on Friday with Joe House to go through all the weekend's games, give out some bets that we like. I'll be critical of some of the stuff that House throws out there at me. Special thanks to Ben Solak for crushing it once again on this show and to Mike Wargon and Craig Holbrecht for producing it. We will see you guys on Friday. Friday.